Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. This is the Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen. Today on the show, my guest will be founding member of the Celtic Trust, Jeanette Findlay. This episode has been kindly sponsored by St. Margaret's Supporters Club. And as always, thanks to all the boys and girls at St. Margaret's for the continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. Over many, many years, they've supported us, so much appreciated. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at celticfanzine.com and you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. The last couple of podcasts we've been chatting about Roland's fascination with the podcast analytics and in particular the people who are listening throughout the world. So this week he's picked out a couple more and he's put them up in the computer in front of me here. He's stuck up Jersey. Well, I wonder is that the Sunshine Tims that I met on a train many, many years ago going from Frankfurt to Stuttgart? Could be. Nuggy, if it's you out there, get in contact. And he wants to know who's the listeners in Varna, Bulgaria, a place I've never heard of. And also those who are listening in Paris. Get in contact. We want to hear your Celtic story. Well, the grey clouds that hang over Celtic are getting darker and darker as each game goes by as we head into Thursday's dead rubber game against Lille at Celtic Park. Thankfully, defences, which were so offensive, have been removed. But it's sad to hear that Celtic fans who work for the club have been abused online. Whatever's happened at the club, I doubt very much that a tour guide has much to say in the boardroom. And please spare a thought for the staff in the superstore who have to finish work at time when protests are going on can't be pleasant experience for them Sunday St. Johnson in my heart I was hoping for a comeback that could kickstart the season but my head was thinking same same old story and once again we were forced to sit through a lacklustre performance I did think Neil Lennon would be replaced after trying his best to halt the slump after the game but the board have backed the manager to turn things around is there any good news out there yeah, there actually was a bit of good news concerning Celtic and that was with the underage boys, the Celtic Colts, beating Rangers in the Glasgow Cup semi-final, 3-0. Good to see Irish international Armstrong Oxford flex opening the scoring and also Cameron Harper netting two goals. Mikey Johnson also got 45 minutes of action as he walks to regain full fitness and get back into first-team contention. We've missed Mikey and we've missed our wide players. Luke O'Connell and Barry Kofi, underage Irish players, also got 90 minutes under the belt. So that's a positive. Well, the vaccine is now in place, so hopefully by next season we'll be back watching the football. 
I'll never give up on this year's title until it's mathematically impossible, although some fans have. But something's going to have to change soon, both in the short term and in the long term at our club. Jeanette Finley is a founder member of the Celtic Trust. Before COVID, she was a familiar face at Celtic Games home and away and travelled with the Denison number one CSC. She was active in fans against criminalisation in the fight against the Offensive Behaviour Act. She has also been active in the plan to build a memorial to Angorta Moore in Glasgow and is part of the Call It Out campaign against Irish racism and anti-Catholic bigotry in Glasgow. Hi Jeanette, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. In a time of lockdowns, working from home, Zoom meetings, no fans of football, but now we have a little bit of good news with the first vaccines being administrated and maybe we can see light at the end of the tunnel and get them back to Glasgow and get them back to Celtic Park maybe next season. Please go ahead, Andrew. Uh, no, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, uh, as you can as you can see, I've been a, a busy woman over the last uh, few years or maybe decades. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, everybody's the same. It's, it's really bad to be, first of all, to be prevented from going to the football in this extremely important year, but also with, with the way things are, um, not to be able to meet and discuss things and try and see what we can do and sort things out. It's, it's, it's really, really difficult. So we have to make use of technology and we have to we have to basically communicate as best we can. But uh, yeah. Now, I suppose I could say trouble in paradise with poor performances and results. People have split on the Neil Lennon thing. People have been calling to be sacked. And then following on from the calls on Lennon to be sacked, there's been calls for the board to be sacked. Now, Neil Lennon's future is in the hands of the board and no one else's. Um, we simply don't seem to have a say whether we agree with Neil being manager or not. The performance haven't been great. The players don't seem to have been, I suppose, playing for him or, or playing for the jersey. But you know, it's a lot more um, putting a banner up, sack the board is a simple thing to do. But we're controlled by a PLC and you know we've got major shareholders and vulture funds and it's just not as simple. And probably for fans... If you could maybe simplify you know, how the PLC works, because for the average man on the street, including myself, sometimes I get confused with everything that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm no expert on capitalism in the private sector, but um, I probably have more expertise in relation to this particular question. Um, so the, so the, the club is owned, the football club is owned by Celtic PLC and that has been the case uh, for some uh, considerable period of time now and therefore the buck stops with them. So whatever arguments you have with, with what's going on, it is the board's responsibility, they are the current custodians of the club. And so in that sense, um, if people are turning their anger anywhere their anger should be turned towards the people who are the only people with the power to make change, and that's the Celtic PLC board. Now, whatever views you have on the manager, personally, I didn't want him reappointed. I thought it was a, I, I thought it was a, a, a move that showed a lack of ambition. But having said that, once he was appointed, like everybody else, I gave him my full backing and wanted nothing more than for him to be successful. But I thought. I thought the board put him at an absolute disadvantage right for the the get-go. The way that they announced his appointment, I thought quite disrespectful chat by the chief executive about how that had come about was was appalling. 
I thought it was I thought it was a bit embarrassing for him. It was humiliating. So whatever people think about what has happened since, and I know people have a range of different views. They blame the manager. They blame the players. They blame both. They blame you know whatever. The bottom line is, the board, the PLC board, are the only people who have the power to make change. Actually, they're the only people who have the power to do that. So we're run by a PLC. There are 20, I think at last count, last time I looked, 27,000 individual shareholders. But we have a principal shareholder, not the majority shareholder, and not the owner, as people like to call him, uh, Dermot Desmond. So he has about 40%, I think, roughly. Don't, don't hang me for the numbers, but they're close enough. You have uh, basically an investment fund uh, run by Nick Train, which I think has about 18%. So between them, they hold a majority. And then there are some other reasonably big shareholders. So the Keynes, Chris Trainer, a few others, I think. And then there's this dispersed group of shares which are held mainly by people like me, and perhaps you, I don't know, who bought in the 94 issue when... Uh, Fergus under Fergus McCann and the two subsequent issues, although the later ones were were more often scooped up by people like Dermot Desmond because they were put out in the summer, very little in the way of uh, notice, no credit facilities. So really, those those ones, I think two thousand and one, were, um, were were they were hoovered up by the by the bigger the bigger boys. So that that's the position. So in terms of your control. Uh, we don't have any control, but you know, uh, if you had some unity among the smaller shareholders, and I tend to call them the supporter shareholders because there really are people like me who bought the smallest amount they could buy and have held them ever since uh, for emotional reasons, most certainly not for uh, financial investment reasons. And they're probably, for most people, the only shares that they own. So, so these are people who who don't, you know, engage in stock market activities very often, perhaps once in their whole lifetime. So the only thing that we can do is to pull those, the power of those shares together in terms of the voting. So voting is done on the basis of your shareholding, not on individuals. Because on that, if it was on individuals, there'd be absolutely no problem. Um, you know, we, we would be in the majority. But in terms of your shareholding, that's how voting is done. So if we were able to pull those together, so let me tell you something that of the 27,000, again, these are no exact numbers, but they're close enough. And it was, you know, when we looked at a year or so ago, uh, of the 27,000 individual shareholders, about 12 or 1,300, only about 12 or 1,300 of them ever vote. So there are so there are all that uh, twenty five and a half thousand or whatever uh, who never bother to vote. They don't use their vote. Um, now, if we were to pull those together, which has been the trust's um, aim from the start, uh, is to pull those together and operate them as a block. So have have a mechanism for a democratic vote, which is membership of the trust. You have a democratic vote, democratic vote and trust policy, and then you vote, and that and, and you vote them as a block. Then that would be a much that would be a, a very considerable and powerful voice. Um, in addition to that, the trust has always wanted to accumulate shareholding in its own right, so so that people can understand this trust was set up twenty years ago, and it's what is called an industrial and provident society. 
it's a mutual. The closest thing you most people will probably be used to thinking about is a credit union. It's exactly like that. Now, it's not, it's not, it's not a mutual whose purpose is to uh, assist people with savings or, or things like that. It's a mutual in that all of its assets are owned by its members in common. So when you join the trust, because the trust owns shares, then you become a shareholder in common. And the more people who join and pay their membership fees, then the more shares are bought. We have almost no running costs. Our running costs are, you know, everything's done online, even more so uh, than it was 20 years ago. But even then, you know, people just volunteer to do things and people pay for things. And so there's, all, you know, our running costs are very small. And all of the, the, the funds that come in are used to buy shares. So the more people who join, um, then the more money we have and the more shares we buy and the more powerful we become as a body. Now, people will say, well, why would, why would I buy shares? I mean, why would I join the trust so that the trust can buy shares? Why would I not just buy shares? And my answer to that is, if you want to buy shares, that's great. You know, if you want to buy shares and vote them with us, that's great. But there's no safety in that. Because if, if lots and lots and lots and lots of individual people own shares, then effectively they're always open to whatever's happening in their life, which might mean they have to share them, uh, sell them, sorry. So, you know, if somebody comes and makes you an offer you can't refuse, you know, as an individual, you have to take the circumstances of your family into account. You have to, you know, wherever you are in your life cycle and your finances. And so they're always vulnerable to being hoovered up by some bigger and not necessarily benign um, element. So if we all own them individually, no, that's great. We're, we're, we're happy for a dispersed share ownership if they vote together. Uh, but that leaves us vulnerable. If shares are owned by the trust, which is a legal and financial entity overseen by the Financial Conduct Authority, then they can never be bought by anybody else. Once they come into our ownership, they cannot go anywhere. They have to stay in that ownership. And if for any reason the trust was dissolved or wound up, then constitutionally all of the assets have to go to a Celtic-related charity. They cannot, they won't be divided among the, mem the current membership. So you remember, I don't know if you remember or people who remember in the UK in the 80s, there was carpetbaggers. So people who, you know, like when um, building societies were demutualising and, you know, everything gets shared between the current owners and then these carpetbaggers came in and bought all the shares up and, and all of that sort of thing. That can't happen. There can be no, no individual can profit from anything that the trust owns. Because it's, it took us two years to set up, because it took us that time to get our, our constitution legally and, you know, legally absolutely rock solid. And it's there for anybody. See, there's a summary, it's a very long document. There's a summary on the Trust website. But if anybody wants to see it, they can see it. Um, and that is what, that is what protects both the democracy of the trust and its financial integrity. So this was always meant to be a vehicle for Celtic fans to join and thereby own the club. That's always been my ambition. Having said that, it was always going to be a long-term project. Um, you know, we're not that far along the road, albeit it was 20 years. Um, so we've 
in a sense, operated as a sort of a campaign campaign group in between times. And as I said at the meeting on Saturday, I think the trust has been the trade union for Celtic supporters. So we mobilise us, we try and bring unity, we try and argue for things that are in the fans' interest, and we represent fans when they get any bother with the club and we, you know, or or with the state or with <laughs> or the police or whoever, and we do our best to do that. So I think of us as a sort of a, a trade union. But really, really, what we are is a legal and financial vehicle for the fans to own Celtic. That's what we are. Yeah. Do you know, I've, I've always been interested in that and been a member of the Trust since the early days. And I've, I remember when you came to Dublin and it was a poorly attended meeting. You came the whole way to Dublin and, you know, we discussed it, we went back. And I know our club was, you know, off the back. But I don't think, you know, everybody signed up. Or I think there's always been, you know, people say to me, what's the Trust? And I go, well, you know, visit the website. And I think maybe because people think, oh, you know, I'm not reading that statement or I'm not reading... They want a bullet to, and now we're in a society where, with social media, like the Zoom meeting, the Zoom, the Zoom meeting proved the other day, over 300 people, you know, attended the meeting. And that proved that, no, this is the way forward, I think, anyway, because when there was ever a meeting in Glasgow, I couldn't attend because of traveling or being on a bus or whatever, I had to be tickets sorted out in Glasgow or whatever. So I think now the Zoom meeting, and I know people are fed up with Zoom meetings. But I think, you know, of all the meetings, all the people have spoken on Zoom, that was the, the best meeting. It was the best thing I think the Trust have done in a long, long time. And I also got to hear David Lowe and in the background that he came from, which is, he's been in Celtic. He's been, you know, he's been close to the boardroom, seemingly. You know, he was involved with Ferguson Canada. And I thought, you know, well, hold on. Now I'm, I'm learning something else. Because I did think for a while that the Trust had kind of fell off had fell off the, the Richter scale, you know, like it wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't in debate. You know, people weren't talking about it. No, I, I completely understand that. And the biggest weakness, and people like me, who are among the few people who were there for the very start, have to take responsibility for this and put their hands up. Getting our message out, we've never been good at it. We've just never been good at the comms side of it, I suppose is how you would you would describe it. And that has become really crucial. I, I, I'll, I'll disagree with you that, that the meeting was the best thing we've ever done. I mean, we've had a number of open meetings. We've, you know, we have a lot of achievements in our in our trophy room, uh, but people don't know about them. We do them, and nobody ever knows. But we 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 we're the traditional sort of hiding or light under a bushel. We're not trying to hide it. We just can't seem to get it out there. Um, so no, I completely understand that 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 that's something we failed to do. And perhaps you touched on why. If we live in a society, increasingly we do where everything has to be condensed to a you know a, a bullet point or a slogan or a something, then that's that kind of work for us. It has to be explained. If you want to be involved in the trust, you want to know what what what's the constitution? You want to know what's their aims? You want to know what's your protection if you're a member and you're putting money in or donating money or whatever. You need to know all of those things. It's like you know, you know, banks can sell themselves on slogans you know, once everybody knows, understands the concept of a bank. But we can't sell ourselves on a slogan. People have to know what we are. So, so of course, people know about the trust. They know about the trust because they know we were one of the founding members of FAC. They might know individuals like myself associated with the trust, um, you know, and they know things that I've done. So they've seen that. But they don't really get what it adds. And it's really difficult to convey that. And the other thing that I would say is, 
We are the victims of Celtic success. In the whole of our time, most people are not interested in an organisation like ours because they basically think things are good, things have been run well, why fix something if it's not broken? You know, why do we need to worry about who owns Celtic? They're all Celtic supporters, they're all in the same mind as us, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And from time to time, that sort of consensus and, um, you know, thing has broken down, but it very quickly reasserts itself as long as the team are doing well, as long as things are going well, which, thank God, they have been for a very long time. And I certainly am not in any way happy about where we are, and I wish this is not where we are, but the position is that people are now saying, well, hang on a minute, if people are not happy with what's going on, then they immediately turn their minds to how can we change it? And and that's when they start to think, well, is there a possibility that we can do something different in the long term? So the open meeting that we held on Saturday, which you referred to, is not the first open meeting that the Trust has ever held. We've done it a few times when there's been a, a particular issue which is of concern to the whole fan body, really, or a large percentage of them so it kind of cuts across you know different organizations so everybody who's either in an organization or not can come to these meetings so we've had them in relation to the european away ticket scheme we had it in relation to domestic away tickets i I can't remember the other ones we've had but we've had a few of them and what we do is the trust facilitates a meeting holds a meeting publicizes it has a meeting allows people to have their say takes that synthesises that into some kind of set of action points, goes back to Celtic and said, look, this is what people are saying, what have you got to say about it, all of that, then goes back to the people and said, look, this is what Celtic... So basically tries to facilitate some kind of communication. Because facilitating communication is one of our, um, you know, I suppose short-term and medium-term aims in sense of improving that. So it shouldn't be, being a shareholder shouldn't mean you just, uh, you know, that means you get to speak at an AGM once a year. That That's not enough. Fans need to be able to do that. So we've instigated a number of things over the years. So we tried the um, the, the roadshows, which I'm sure there was some, I'm sure there was at least one in Dublin the, the, where we got Celtic to basically take the manager and maybe a couple of other people and go around different parts of the country and have meetings where people could come, like sort of town hall meetings, I suppose is what they call them now, but that kind of thing. And they agreed with us that they would continue that. They didn't, but, you know, that's something that people raised on Saturday. We instigated uh, through the AGM the notion of the fans forum, but that you know, very quickly was basically perverted into a, you know, something where the club would just speak to people and, and that was it. They didn't they didn't listen to them, they didn't consult with them, they didn't take anything back, they didn't ask them things prior to making decisions. So we withdrew for that because frankly you were given something credibility which shouldn't have had credibility. So the, the fans forum was our invention, but not the one that currently exists. So we're very keen on improving communication varying degrees of success. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, again, like a trade union, you go in to talk to the employer, sometimes you get what you want, sometimes you don't, but anyway, you keep trying. So that's why we held that meeting, because we thought, no, we really need to have a meeting. And in fact, further than that, I think we now feel without some intervention, it will be necessary for us to call some public protest, uh, because if we don't, these things will happen in an unstructured and uncontrollable way. 
and young people will end up getting lifted for daft things that we don't want to happen. Now, we're in no way, I never have and never will defend violence and we never have and never will defend abusing employees of the club. Uh, so we won't, we won't do that. You know, sometimes difficult things have to be said, but they're said in the right manner. But we may and are actively considering organising a COVID compliant protest so that so that people can express their views in a public way, which is their democratic right, but to do it safely and to do it in a way that and that might deter unplanned and spontaneous um physical protests, which, you know, I don't think are, are good for anybody. Uh, so I'm interested in making sure that fans are able to speak, but I'm also interested in making sure that fans are safe. And we can maybe talk about that later, but that's just something that we're considering right at this moment. I think, Jeanette, it's something that um, you know should should be on the discussion board because you know fans are split over what's happening at the ground at the moment. But at the club putting up barriers of fans, I'm not saying protesting, but actions of a small group of fans, especially if... Um, from talking to older fans, because obviously if I was 16 or 17 or 18, I'd probably find what's happening at the ground a little exciting. You know, but as, as a 50-year-old man coming up to 50, I don't find it exciting. And I find that, you know, to get a picture, to get like, I always find when, when you know, a banner goes up or there's a small group protesting that Sky News and the tabloids are jumping on it. Whereas when there's proper meetings and, and uh Structured stuff like that. We don't seem to get. We don't seem to get the same. Um, it, it, uh, we have no bother at all, Andrew. Getting more message out if we no, want to. We, we, we don't seem to <laughs> get. We think um, we're criticising Celtic, yeah. You know, we don't seem to get. You know, the the when we like, what I would say, you know, this is the way to do it. You know, organise it. If, if if people want to protest, organise it. You know, rather than just you know groups turning up and that. I think that's the way forward. But then other people will think differently. You know, it's just when I see certainly. I got a phone call from from an older gentleman last week who was kind of dismayed and shocked with the whole thing. But he was as shocked as well with, you know, the, the actions of the directors of the club, you know. And he was a businessman who had worked for a big company and he spoke about the obscene amount of money that, the, you know, mm. directors were getting when he came from that background and he knew what he was talking about. And I was surprised. I didn't recognise the number when it was coming in. It was just an elderly fan home and away fan who just wanted to speak to someone off the record yeah. because he yeah. didn't want to go on record. And I think these fans are kind of silent now and maybe someone needs to be speaking for them as well. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 absolutely. I would say it's interesting. I imagine people think the kind of demographic of the trust is quite old. And I suppose for periods it is, but actually we've got a lot of quite young members now. They're not necessarily as actively involved as we would like them to be, and we, we hope to encourage that. But, I mean, eventually, you know, they are going to have to step up and, and, and take over because this is a long game. You know, no matter how bad this is, we will get over this. No matter how bad, we'll get over this. But the long game is still there. That and as long as this club is owned by a PLC and not the fans, we will find ourselves back in this um, position again. And in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, your successor and mine will be having the same discussion unless we take action, which will take time for fans to take greater control of the club. And that means ownership. And the only way we can do that is 
because the monies are so huge is for us to combine together and start to take those steps. Now, people will say, you know, that's impossible. It's a huge amount of money. Yes. I'm not going to quote Mao Zedong, but, you know, uh, it is actually important to take that first step because, because it's a dynamic situation. As soon as you start to build up, nothing like a majority, but start to make an inroad, start to, to have numbers which make the difference uh, between who can, you know, basically sell off the majority of the club, then you become an important player. You know, I always think about the Liquid Party and the Knesset. You know, they're a tiny, 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 I think they're an ultra-Orthodox Zionist or, or something group. But they controlled the Knesset for a long time. I mean, I don't, don't follow that anymore, but they, and the Israeli parliament, because they were the power brokers. Or the Greens in Scotland were, t- were a tiny group. They're a wee bit bigger now, but they were a tiny group in the Scottish parliament, but they were able to control things. So we don't have to be a majority. We only have to be big enough to matter to somebody. And we can do that. But we can only do it if we unite and start to move forward on that. Will it fix this season? No, it won't. There are other short-term things that we need to, to start to try and address. But really the only people who can fix this season are the board, the manager and the players. We can't fix that. But we can convey our views. But we need to be able to to, to take control of this club because any well-run club people say and we say as well you know Celtic's well-run you know they don't get into debt and danger that's that's good but I don't think any and I'm not a businesswoman right but um, you know uh, but any business that oversees the continued degradation of its core product and abuses its own customers is really heading for success so these people have the responsibility to have the plans in place, to appoint the right people, to have contingency plans when things don't work. That's their job. That's what they get paid to do and very handsomely for it. So I don't think we need to have all the answers. We need to insist that the people whose responsibility it is have the answers. And until we can take control of who those people are who are making those decisions, then then we, we, we'll be sitting here having a chance and that's, that's where we'll be. Yeah, I think fans maybe don't realise that with Dermot, you know, he's not the owner of the club. He is a major shareholder. He's 40% or there or thereabouts. And then we have a vulture fund, which we don't know who who was involved in it. You know, we, we like, you know, is Dermot Desmond involved in the vulture fund? You know, looking in from the outside, it would seem that he and the other directors have their support, so maybe they are. But there's also directors there with big, or maybe non-executive directors with big shares in the club. But, you know, if Derma and the Vulture Fund have more than 50% of the club, well, if you've 10% of the club, you don't really have a say. Well, maybe we should be, maybe we should be buying it, the fund then? Possibly. Possibly, yeah, you know. I've seen a thing on Twitter, you know, like if, if everyone, if, you know, if every season ticket holder mm. that could afford, you know, set up a direct debit, you know, once a month or whatever, and give money to the trust, all of a sudden you could see all these shares that would be able to be bought. I would be in a position, to, I don't know if everyone would be in a position to do that, but I would be in a position to do it because at the moment all I have to do to be a member of the trust is pay me membership fee, which is, which is, which is great. But I would 
I would like to, to contribute a little more, maybe. And like, if that, something like that could be set up, I'd be more than happy. And I know a lot of fans would be. Well, we will be back on the basis of the people who have joined, and a huge number of people have joined since Saturday. Um, well, since last week, really, but mainly since Saturday. A huge number of people have joined. And on the basis of that, we will be buying shares today. So if people are worried about what's going to happen to that money, I'll tell you what's going to happen to that money. It will be used to buy shares in Celtic PLC today, and we'll announce it later on. And every time you give us money, that's what we'll buy more shares, and we'll buy more shares. But bear in mind that if we have an annualised income, whereas if people say I'm going to pay X amount per month, and you're absolutely right, people can only people can only give what they can afford. Nobody's asking them to you know, impoverish themselves for the sake of this. That's that, yeah, your family has to come first. But you know, if you can, no matter how you know small that is, and we, we go five pound a month. That's that's the smallest we go really to. To you know, you can make donations whatever you like, but in terms of membership, it's five pound a month now. No matter how much that is, if you're saying that's you're committed to that, then we know what the, our annual income is, and if our annual income is X amount, then that can sustain sensible borrowing in order to buy shares more quickly because you know what your income is. So an amount, any anybody who works for a charity or works for any knows will tell you that knowing what you're getting every month is really, really important to your financial planning as opposed to, you know, you get a donation here or a donation there. So that kind of long-term commitment is massively important and will accelerate this project if people are prepared to make it. What I loved as well about the meeting on Saturday, Jeanette, was that, you know, anyone who wanted to speak in three minutes to, you know, to say their piece. And there were some great points come out of it, you know, because so many minds. And then there was people who were saying, like, you know, I'm glad I joined because I didn't know what the trust was. So I think now it's getting it out there on social media and, and you know, explaining to people, look, even if he's had a little video on, on the website where people could go in and click in and just, someone could tell them the story of the trust and what it's about briefly because I know from pe- pe- talking to people going oh, I don't want to read I don't want to read statements and I don't pe- some don't. people don't they just want like I have a son he's 21 if I said to him read that statement he'd say no can you not show me is it not can I not see something quicker and that's how you get younger members and get them but that's the way it is and as you say we can't just do it like a banquet you know little slogan but I I feel I felt that that was the Twitter had got toxic, and fans were arguing and fighting, and there was a lot of it was there was no facts behind the arguments. And now all of a sudden, I attended a meeting, and I felt a lot better about it. I felt a lot better Saturday evening than I did. Now I didn't feel great Sunday evening after the game. <laughs> yeah. You know that's that's that goes with supporting a football team. So like we we will post up all the information when we when we put the podcast out about how people can join the trust, the website and so forth. But, you know, is the biggest threat to the club, oh, we wake up one morning and we have a hostile takeover? Yes. It's entirely possible. Um, that So so I think, uh, was it Lindsay Train, who are the 18%? Maybe they have no emotional connection to Celtic. And I'm probably the last person you would expect to hear saying this. Whatever you say about Dermot Desmond, and I have had plenty to say about him, he's been there for a long time. So whatever his, whatever his, um, his, his plan was or his aims were or whoever he is or what he is, he has, he, he certainly wasn't in it for the short term. So, and but that could change, like that could change in a heartbeat and we're vulnerable to that. 
So that is absolutely the case. That could happen. And you could get to a situation. I mean, if, if he was to sell and Nick Tame was to sell, then somebody could buy that up and and they would then be able to buy it. They would then they would then be legally allowed to buy out everybody else and they would own it in total. We would have no shares. We would have to sell our shares. That's how that would work. So so this is there is a vulnerability there. I like to think that anybody thinking about it might um, might think twice if they think there's an organised and vociferous and coherent fan body that can, you know, challenge them at every turn. That that might make them think twice about it. I would I would hope that I would hope we would act as a deterrent, just as being um, people who will, will protest and and and, and speak out. But I don't want to be in that position. I want to make sure we're not in that position. And that's that's been the long-term aim of the trust. It was never going to be a short-term. Uh, we were never going to become, you know, flavour of the month. And so it was always about us being here almost for this occasion, you know. So we've done a lot of good things and, you know, people have asked, oh, what have the trust ever done? And I, I then produced a big long list of the things we've done. But, uh, um, you know, we've done other things in the meantime. But it was always fundamentally about being here for this time, for when people began to understand if you want to have a say in this club, which is so important to so many of us, then we need to own it. And that's what needs to happen. And if anything we can do to facilitate that and make that happen, then that's what the trust is about. So uh, I did get a few slogans in it. And as I say, uh, any assistance we can get for people who are better at, you know, promoting messages, people like yourself, Andrew, who are you know, obviously kindly inviting me on here to have this conversation and any of the other podcasts and any of the other fanzines and anybody else who's talking about these things, if they can help us with that, then that's absolutely great. And if there are people who are good at this sort of thing, who want to, you know, take over the Twitter account and take over the comms, then that would be absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, uh, But in the meantime, we'll trundle along with what we've got. Um, But somebody did make a suggestion and it was somebody from your own, uh, your own neck of the woods. And what was it? What was the thing? It was, um, we share your values, we value your shares. (laughs) So that was quite a nice one. That's a good slogan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll put that out there. If somebody wants to make us a wee graphic, then that'd be great. <laughs> but, you know, see the thing you're saying about a, a, a wee video clip? I mean, listen, we're not such dinosaurs that we don't know how to do that or that we could do that. I just We just wonder whether anybody who really wants to understand what the trust is would understand it from something like that. I don't know. I mean, I think the vast and overwhelming majority of people often do things not for intellectual reasons, but for emotional reasons. So if you trust the trust, and actually trusting the trust means trusting yourself, because the trust is its members. So that's what it means. It doesn't mean trusting me or trusting David Lowe or trusting anybody else who's on the trustee board. It means placing some trust in your own ability to combine with other people and achieve an aim that you're seeking. So if you trust that, then you're probably happy to join and support without necessarily having a big, long, complicated uh, discussion and reading the constitution and all of that. So it is about conveying that message and getting people to understand that we're asking you to trust yourselves. No, no, to trust us because as soon as you join the trust, you're you're one of us. Um, and the other thing is for those people who do 
require an intellectual argument, then we have all the material there. And we do, you know, there are people, just like you're saying, the elderly gentleman who was the, the businessman, you know, we've had people getting in touch and saying, can I see your aims and objectives? Can I see your constitution? Can I see your, can I see your, um, your financial statements? And think, absolutely fine. That's great. And they can see that and they can understand, you know, what it is that they're, they're joining. There's been some confusion. Some people think, it's some kind of an investment scheme or that, you know, and, and obviously that's not what we are. Um, so, you know, so, you know, why would I invest in you? Well, you're not investing, you're not investing in me. You're not investing in the trust. You're you're actually combining with other fans to collect money, to buy shares that the, fan, the fans will always own, okay, in common. That's what it is. Just for, from my point of view, I've always trusted the trust. <laughs> Um, I know there's no egos involved in it and I know what happened in Amsterdam and, and the trust went from wanting then in the support of, of the court cases. I know the fans against criminalisation who were involved with that and there was other clubs involved in that. So I know from I know from record that I can trust the trust and Well know, I think you mean you I think you mean you can trust the people that you know are currently associated with. Yes. But this might still be going on when I'm dead and buried, Andrew. Yeah, well, I, I think I think because it's the way the way it's structured. Mm. You know, I don't think anyone's going to come in with an ego thinking I can take over this. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and I think it's important as well that if we all shout, no one gets heard. We need someone inside speaking to the power brokers. We need someone in there that can articulate our feelings and come back to us. And because I don't see. You know, I don't see anyone else at the moment because we've got associations, we've got supporters clubs and everything, but if we're divided, it, it, in my opinion, it suits the club if the fans are divided. Oh, you know, yeah. we need to be united. And at the moment, well, you're not united. And we need unity and we need to start a kind of a, a healing process without going into, you know, being dramatic a bit. But we need to start a healing process as fans if we're going to have any chance of having a say and how our club is run. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. So, so while you know, as an academic, I probably do to some extent come at this via sort of a more a cerebral or intellectual perspective about this is what you'd have to do, and this is the financial structure, and this is how you know. So, I, I, you know, I know that I commented for that, but at its heart, this is an emotional thing, and and what we're asking people is to take their emotional investment, which is massive, and Celtic Football Club and make it a proper controlling legal relationship um, with Celtic so that, so that you know, they can match up the emotions and the intellect. But you're right, people are. Uh, and, and when there's, when there's um, disunity, when there's this dissent, when there's fans arguing, and of course that's all amplified in, in social media, uh, maybe to a great extent that it really exists in, in, in real life. But when there's that going on, then that genuinely hurts people. People feel uncomfortable. They, they're not happy. They're, they, they want things to be different. They want to be, um, you know, we can all argue about this thing or that thing, about who was chosen on a particular game, what substitutions were made, you know, blah, 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 signing policies, you know, training techniques or whatever. We can argue about all of those things, but it's done in the context of, you know, a united fan body. 
Um, so the trust is the trust is not stepping on any other body's toes. I mean, we don't organise supporters buses and we don't do all of the things that the association and the affiliation, the Irish Association do. We don't organise stadium protests the way the Green Brigade and the boys do. Uh, so we're not stepping on their toes. And there's a lot of cross-membership. Um, but we have a very specific role and we can all be part of it. You know, you can be a member of those organisations and be a member of the trust. You can be a member, you can do all of those things, run buses, do stadium protests, do banners. You can do all of that and be a member of the trust. Um, so this is about, as I say, this is about a vehicle and we need to get on board. We need, yeah, on board the, we need to get on board the love train, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Now listen, you talk about emotions there, Jeanette, and we've gone into, um, you've, you've explained the trust so well to to the listeners. But, you know, what's Jeanette's emotional? You know, what's the connection with Celtic? You know, are you born and bred in Glasgow? Are you, are your family Irish? You know, yeah, is, yeah. It, it, where does the love come from? Well, born anti-Celtic. Born anti-Celtic. Born into a family of Irish descent, like, uh, in Glasgow. A Celtic supporting family, a family of Irish descent, like, like, like the vast, probably majority of Celtic supporters. Um, and just grew up with it, and it was just always part of part of your life. Now, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm even a wee bit older than you, Andrew. And back in the day, although there was compared to other football clubs, I think there was probably more women went to see Celtic than 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 in other clubs. Uh, but in my family, while we all supported the club, my my dad never took us. He took he took the boys. He didn't take the girls. Um, so it wasn't it. I was an adult that I actually went to. A, a Celtic match. I had been living in London as a student. I came back and, and basically started '87. The sort of uh, the end of the, I think the end of the. No, it would have been me looking back in September. So it'd have been the, I the '87 '88 season was my first. Uh, was when I first went uh, to Celtic Park, um, and and that was it. So ever since. Um, you know, I've still got my big collection of because I, I think I bought a season ticket the following season, and I've had one ever since. So I've got me paper ones and all of those. So I know that's 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 my background. Very similar, very typical to you know the uh, 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 other people who follow Celtic. Uh, I don't think it's that. On you, just seems normal and obvious to me. You know, uh, that's just what you're born into. Now you're also involved in other things um, in Glasgow. Like you're, you're quite active. Within the Irish and uh, yeah. I suppose the Celtic scene, just bring us up to date uh, quickly, Jeanette, before we finish up about the Great Hunger Memorial, which we were all yeah. looking forward to yeah. seeing been unveiled. Yeah, oh yeah, so are we. Um, now, well, what happened was this should have been up uh, a year past in May. This this memorial is paid for, designed, built, planning permission is there, but everything. Uh, everything just uh, just went wrong. Sorry, I say a year past May. Sorry, May uh, just May passed. So um, that should have gone up in May. That then couldn't happen. We hoped that we'd be able to get it up in November. That then became clear that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and at the moment, we can't say when it will happen. We're looking towards St Patrick's Day or St Patrick's Weekend. You know, this twenty twenty one. But but that's no. That's not definite because it will really depend on when things start to open up. 
we had at one point thought that we would, um, we first of all said, well, we'll wait till things open up. Then when it became clear that this was going to be a, you know, a, a very long process, we thought, well, we'll have a, a smaller event, but we'll live stream it. But even then that became something that w- wasn't going to be possible. So I think now with the vaccine coming on, stream I think we'll now be able to say we'll wait and we will have the event that we always intended to have so what we're hoping to have is a marching through the the Brummel all right up to St Mary's and the Calton where where the the memorial is going to be unveiled and then a proper unveiling ceremony and then we can all breathe a sigh of relief that finally uh, in Glasgow there is a proper dedicated memorial to our people who the people who died first and foremost, but also to the memory of our people who came here and faced all of the difficulties uh, and all of the oppression and discrimination and financial, you know, destitution that they faced, and to I think look with pride at our community and how it's come forward and what we represent now, who we are in Glasgow. So we are a minority ethnic community, but we're very proud of where we come from and we're very proud of what we've achieved in this city and beyond in Scotland. And we need, we will not be a party to uh, any revisionism about our history. And we will continue to argue because we're not there yet. We will continue to argue for our rights as you know, equal and free citizens of this country, which you know, in all likelihood, is where we will remain. The vast and overwhelming majority of us, um, notwithstanding Eddie and I's plans for buying somewhere in Donegal when we retire. But anyway, we'll leave that to another, maybe another discussion. But anyway, uh, in all likelihood, that's where we'll stay. That's where our children will stay. Um, so that's that's how we. That's how that 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 was. That's the thinking behind that, and I suppose that does bring us on to call it out. If you want me just to, yeah, please, very quickly. So, a couple of years ago, following a few uh, quite high-profile uh, incidents of anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-Irish racism, we decided that it was time that there was, in fact, just the same as for every other community, a sort of basically a, a an equalities group. You know, a, you know, a, a group that just argues for the rights and uh, freedoms of our community, just in the way that other communities, quite rightly, have those groups. So, an anti-discrimination campaign, really. Um, now, that was focused, and those people who know about it probably know about it more in terms of our um, protection of Catholic churches that are being, you know, that are subjected to abuse by. Um, anti-Catholic marches, Orange Order and the other Loyal Orders marches, because it was very much focused on that. We had some considerable successes in terms of getting these marches rerouted. We never asked for them to be banned. We don't, we're not interested in taking away other people's rights. We would like those people to probably at some point sat down and say, why are we doing this anymore and, and, and stop of their own volition? But as long as they want to do it, we don't want them to be banned by the state. But we don't want them marching past our churches. And I think um, there's something like, I don't know, two and a half thousand streets in Glasgow 
and there's fewer than 60 with a Catholic church on them. So they've got plenty of streets to march, march down. We just don't want them marching down the streets with a Catholic church on them. So we had some success in relation to that. And of course, that all kind of ended. We had a good legal judgment when Glasgow City Council defended an action in, in the Sheriff Court, which the loyal orders took against them for making that decision. But that, So that was great. Um, but that kind of all ended. Obviously, with, with COVID, we ended up that part of it, you know, hasn't been an issue, obviously, for some time. And you're kind of hoping that that break, that break in this long tradition of anti-Catholic bigotry and hatred paraded on uh, Scottish streets might actually lead us not to go back to it again. So we hope that will be the case. Um, but I think we've always realised that there was something bigger than this. You know, there's something more important than this. Uh, because whatever you say about those people who march up and down with their horrible uniforms on, um, they're working class people and their interests lie with other working class people. So our, our fight is not really with them. Our fight is with the people who maintain the system in which Catholics, and when we say Catholics, you can probably say Catholics, Irish Catholics, because it's almost synonymous. No, that's not to say that everybody that's Irish is a Catholic or everybody that's Catholic is Irish, but, but I mean, the crossover is so huge uh, that you can pretty much say that. And the hatred is, you know, dished out equally. But Catholics are overrepresented in the, the prison system. Catholics are overrepresented among within deprived communities. They're overrepresented uh, in certain health issues. They have the largest number of deaths among the ethnic groups of COVID. Um, so we are still statistically different from what you might call the host community. So therefore, we have specific needs that need to be addressed and call it out as a campaign to do that. So while it may have seemed synonymous with, you know, protesting against the Orange Order, actually it's much more than that. It's about addressing systemic inequality and discrimination that affect our community. OK, Jeanette, I've got me time sheet now and I always like to finish off on this kind of light-hearted um, because some of the conversations are a bit more serious than others and some of, the, some of them are light, more, some of the conversations are more light-hearted, but at the moment our Celtic kids... There's a lot of things up in the air. Yep, yep, yep. It, it was very important to get you onto the podcast, uh, especially as we move forward now, because mm. it's kind of unknown territory at the moment. Now, look, I've got my time machine, and I'm going to put you in my time machine, <laughs> and I'm, go I'm going to take you back to, you know, if you can go back to any game, you know, since 1987, since you start following Celtic, or any moment in that time. Mm. Yeah. Where does the time machine take you? Oh, God. I think there's two that I can think of. Can I say two? And you, of course you, know, you can. Because you, 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 you don't actually have a time machine. But anyway, so I can no, choose two if I want. I <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a terrible memory for games. I don't remember the scores of games the week before. I'm terrible. I just have a, I just I enjoy it in the moment and I go away and I can never remember anything. Um, but there are a couple of games that stick in my mind and it's just, you know, the day that was in it and how you felt and everything. And I always have a really strong memory of um, the Partizan Belgrade game, the 5-4 game. And when I first started going to Celtic Park, I stood in the Celtic end with a group of people who were 
um, a big family, the Kellys for Canvas Lang, and their friends and friends of mine for Belfast. And um, there was just, it was a group and we always just assembled there. And somebody would bring um, Cadbury's fudges and we called ourselves the Cadbury's number one CSC. And I just remember that game because I remember um, the father of that family, Mr Kelly, was standing beside me and a friend of mine, Anna Neil for Belfast. And every goal that went in, and we, we were like, hugging each other and jumping up and down and it was just it was the most it was so sort of exciting it just really sticks in my memory and uh, Mr Kelly God rest him you know a nice respectable man you know one of these ones that came to games with a shot and tie on and a you know and he was jumping up and down and people going mental so I do remember that and that's a nice nice memory and the other game that I, I, I think about is the um, the Bo Vista game No Seville that was no good but Bovista, because everything was ahead. I'll never forget that night, that night, because I was at the away game and coming at the stadium. And it was, you know, if you remember that stadium, it was like, you know, pretty tight. And it was like these concrete stairwells. And there was a point where, you know, the whole, we were kind of stopped in it because there was so many people trying to get out. And people were singing the, you know, and they gave this James McGrory and, and it was just it, the, the noise of that was bouncing off this these these um these uh you know concrete the concrete roofs of this thing and it was just the most exciting thing to think that we were going to a European final like everything was ahead of us it was the most exciting thing and I remember going the next day being in a cafe in uh Porto, which is called the Imperial Cafe, which apparently was where, before the Portuguese Revolution, the the all the you know the plotters used to meet and things like that. But it was also then where all the wee ladies used to come for. You know how the you know the uh, the continental people like their wee coffee and cake and things like that. So anyway, it was, it was like that sort of place. And we walked in about 11 o'clock in the day and we started ordering champagne. That probably wasn't champagne, it was probably it was cav or something. But anyway, yeah, we started. And they were kind of looking at us and then they started delivering. And we must have got through, I think, probably seven or eight bottles. And people just kept joining us. And then, then we said, right, bring us cake as well. So we had cake. And then, and, there was just, and then we left there to get the bus to take us back to get the plane. And on the plane, and this is the only time I've ever seen this, ever in my life, People just opened up their carryouts on the plane, and the, and the the crew just just let it go. They just basically just walked away, and they let it go. And people were drinking on the plane, going back. And I carried a bottle of this champagne because I bought a bottle before I left to take home. And the the waiters gave me two champagne flutes to take with me, so I wrapped them all up nice and tidy, and did all that. Got on the plane, and I gave my, my champagne flutes to people to mix their vodka and coke or whatever in and I got them back and I wrapped them up my sister picked me up at Glasgow airport I got back to the house and I unwrapped them and I put the two of them on the the dresser next to the sink and promptly dropped one and smashed it and I turned around to say oh I can't believe this I've carried this all the way forgotten turned around and smashed the second one so they were gone within minutes of me getting into the house so anyway that's a bit of a long story for a short story but anyway those are sort of kind of the memories that stick in my mind yeah, the from Cadbury Fudges to Champagne in, in a coffee yep. shop in, in Porto. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to be there that night. And the stadium was actually being rebuilt for the Euros. That's why it right. was all the concrete. And yeah, cause I, I remember that because I spoke to Rob Douglas in the podcast and we were shouting out at him. He didn't even know who we were, mm. but we were roaring out because the, you could basically walk around it. It was past, yeah. you could walk like a building site. 
Yeah. But great memories and, and great, um, you know, and apart from Seville, the result of Seville, that was, that was memorable as well. But listen, Jeanette, it was so important, as I said, to get you on, talk about the trust and the possibilities that are there for the trust and for the Celtic fan base. Now, I think we have been blinded by success and I'm glad 20 years ago or whatever it was when the trust was set up that we now have it and we don't have to wait for two years to get it set up. So that's yeah. thinking ahead, Andrew. That's thinking ahead. Well, well, well that's it. That's, <laughs> and it's lovely to hear about, you know, how you started following Celtic and their background and I know all the work to do. So, listen, thanks very much for everything you've done for us as a fan base and that's just from me to you because you've done a few favours for me as well and I've always been proud of what you've done and for the community in Glasgow that you represent, you're a great, you're a great rep for them. And look, thanks very much for coming on the Celtic Soul. And you didn't really open your Celtic Soul to us because you opened up the trust Celtic Soul. So maybe the next time we'll get your Celtic uh, Soul. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, thanks for that. And remember, we share your values. We value yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to chat to Jeanette. Normally our conversations take place outside Celtic Park or a half-time at away games. She does great work on behalf of the Celtic fan base and also within her community in Glasgow. Currently walking away here on issue 112 of more than 90 minutes and still have a handful of copies of 111. If anyone would still like to get a copy, we'll stick one in the post. You can order it along with the digital copy on CelticFanzine.com. All orders we receive before noon are posted out on the same day. And anyone taking out a 12-month subscription before Christmas will receive a free T-shirt. And if it's a 3-month subscription, we'll throw in a free badge and we'll post them out straight away to you. All subscribers also get a digital copy of each issue while they wait for the print copy to drop through the letterbox and have access to all our back issues, which are also available online for anyone to purchase. With no match day sales, without your support, there would be no print edition. It's just as simple as that. Full subscription details are in the podcast description. You can also visit our online shop if you'd like to support us, where you can buy t-shirts and merchandise, and we'll post out all orders, as I said, on the day on the same day if they're ordered before noon. Each episode of the podcast we throw out a special offer for our listeners, and this episode, if you buy a t-shirt, we'll throw in another one free. Not a bad deal for a little Christmas gift there for the Celtic fan in your life to cheer them up at a time when there's not a lot to be cheerful about. As always, I would like to thank my long-suffering compadre across the desk here, Ronan McQuillan, socially distanced, of course, for producing the show and, and the brilliant job he does and just been an all-round good guy and cheering me up when I'm down. And I'm down a lot these bloody days. If you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFansin.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. Folks, your support has helped us to continue to produce quality independent fan journalism the podcast, the fanzine, video content, and we're almost getting back to planning live events now with the vaccine, so something to celebrate at these, I suppose, hard times to be a Celtic fan. But if don't worry, folks, if you're not in a position to financially support us at this time, we'll still deliver the same quality content free to all fans. We've no plans of putting in patrons or anything like that at the moment. We also have a free app, so don't forget to download that, and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video events, fanzine, online shop or the touch of a button on your phone or tablet and all episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms so don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll never miss an episode you can also follow us on Instagram Facebook or Twitter and once again I cannot thank the boys and girls of St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club enough for the continued support of the podcast and the fanzine, 
If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor the podcast, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media, as always. Keep the comments and suggestions coming in. And here's a few from last week's podcast with Henry McGarvey. Great interview with Henry, spot on the money about season books for next season and people with different hobbies away from Celtic. Trying to load them back after COVID will be difficult. Hilly St. Margaret's. Henry McGarvey, absolute legend, John Flanagan. Jesus Henry McGarvey, for a quiet man you can fair chat. And what's this about the cowboy boots? Well, Dennis, I'll have to contact you privately and fill you in on those cowboy boot stories. That comes from Dennis McGrath, obviously a friend of Henry's. Great interview, first time I met Henry was in Glasgow 15 or more years ago. He looked after us so well, took us to a great restaurant, and before we left, he got us all free into a nightclub. I think the next time I caught up with him, Millish, you were there, and it was the same night I met my fiance. It actually is correct and right. I was there that night, and you did meet your fiance. And I think Tom Cunningham has now got the cowboy boots and he may have stole them that night from Henry. And that comes in from Magic Coogan, St. Lawrence's Celtic Supporters Club. Hi Millish, as you know I have been great friends with Henry for more years than I care to remember. I was his best man and he was my best man at our weddings. I have done travel agent to take him to many European trips to see Celtic. We socialised together in Glasgow, yet not even a mention in the podcast. Good, keep the faith, Pat Owens. Pat, I did give you a mention at the end of the podcast. Don't mind that, Henry McGarvey. The fame went to his head. So, folks, keep the comments coming in. We will be back on Friday with another episode of the Celtic Soul podcast with another guest opening up their Celtic Soul to us. And we'll look back on the dead duck that is the Lille game at home and we'll also look ahead to the Kamarnock game at Celtic Park on Sunday. Folks, enjoy the rest of the week. Last week I said the pressure remains now on more than ever on Lenny and I find myself repeating myself again just like a parrot. And once again, the sofa beckons for 90 minutes on tours tonight as we wait to get back to Celtic Park. Folks, you want to lend our support to musicians and songwriters out there who've been hit the hardest by lockdown restrictions with no gigs and no venues. So don't forget to send in your material and we'll give you a plug and play it of each show. Last week, Henry McGarvey spoke about his clotterhead connections. Today our music comes from a young clotterhead musician called Connor Kerwin. Check out Connor on Spotify and today we're going to play out a brilliant song entitled Deep Blue. Best of luck Connor and thanks very much for sending your song in. So that's all I say folks for this episode. Stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. Dark skies hurricane my emotions It lies, it's not the same Now that we're broken Nights dropped in my mind. Hundred thoughts rushing inside, feeling lost, and I don't know why. But I've been feeling blue, and I've been feeling you. I can't deal with this pain, so just take me away from the deep blue, deep blue. This time, I don't know, but I've been feeling low, and I'm just waiting for these demons to show up. Oh, oh. Who's 
control Oh boy, don't fold And I'm just looking for a place to go Cause I've been feeling blue And I've been feeling you I can't deal with this pain So just take me away From the deep blue, deep blue Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.